Welcome back, everybody, to the latest edition of We Talk Photo, um, our podcast. Uh, John Peterson is with me today down in Portland, Oregon. Beautiful Portland, Oregon. I am sitting here in, I don't know where I am. I'm, I'm actually in Graham, Washington. I don't own the town, but it's between Tacoma and Mount Rainier where I'll be residing, I think, for the next few weeks. News at 11. We'll bring up speed on that at some point. But uh, without further ado, you know, we've been so fortunate to have some really great photographers with us. And back again, I think for the second time, maybe the third, third. one of my favorite photographers, <laughs> Alistair Ben from beautiful Scotland. Hi. Nice to be here again. Uh, yeah, I think it's the third time. Um, yeah, it's dinner time for you. It's it, we just finished uh, the nine o'clock hour here in the northwest, and it's got to be about almost six p.m. eighteen hundred your time, correct? Yeah, it's it's nearly six p.m. So it's it's forty five minutes after beer o'clock. Yeah, it's yeah. Happy hour. On <laughs> on Friday, this is a Friday. Yeah, uh, at six o'clock. I don't know. Sometimes. Back in my prior life, as John can attest, by 6 p.m. on Friday, nobody wanted to talk to me. In fact, nobody wanted to talk to me. So thank you. Yeah, I, I, I didn't want to talk to you either, but, but I have to. <laughs> uh, John, why don't you, uh, you, 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 you go ahead. You, 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 I know you've got a question. Before we do questions, let's talk about yeah. what else. Let's talk about his uh, book. Yeah. Yeah. So as hopefully all of you know, if you go to Alistair's website, which is expressive photography, um, and I'll spell that. John will put this stuff up on show notes. It's E X P R E S S I V E dot photography. Am I correct, Alistair? That's the one. Yep, absolutely. Thank you. You'll see his his great images and you'll see Everything about his new book, which which um, is is uh, going to ship pretty soon. I, you know, I bought a copy a number of months ago, and I'm really excited to look forward to getting that here down the road. Um, when people do books like Guy and Alistair and other people that I know, I always make sure that. I purchased the book. We have, I, I, I believe it's supporting each other. And I, I can't wait to get this book. So Alistair, we talked about it the last time. Talk about the book. Tell us what it is and how excited you are. We had a talk before we started recording it. Right. So, so yeah, thank you very much again. Um, it, it's very humbling to hear people talk about my work in, in those terms. And, um, while I was away in Spain with Adam Gibbs over the last three or four weeks, um, my wife actually received from the printer in Italy the first draft copy of the book um, <clears throat> in, in all its shiny cover and everything. And um, so when I got home the other night, it was just amazing to sit there and actually hold it in my hand. Uh, you know, it feels somewhat surreal. Um, it's six years now since I went into the Gobi Desert. Um, and I'm a very different man uh, from the guy who, who took those first steps back in 2017. So it's, um, it's an interesting um, 
it's been an interesting process, but I think I have to, one thing that's really surprised me is how well the printing has turned out. I mean, I, when I wanted to do a book, I contacted Bruce Percy, uh, who's a very good friend of mine and an incredible photographer who's been producing his own fine art books for, well, God, six, seven, eight years now, I think. So Bruce put me in touch with his designer and, um, so Darren, and I have been working together for a couple of years now to, to bring the book into its current state. Um, and his expertise on the color profiling and soft proofing um, and knowing exactly how the, the lab worked and the way they wanted their images to be allowed me to send over files that were, in my mind, perfect. You know, I, I got... Because the, 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 the whole concept of Out of Darkness is that... I, you know, for, for those of you who don't know the story, um, I suffered from anxiety and depression for 30 years, you know, like chronically um, miserable for an awful lot of it, functional but miserable. And living in a shadow of constant anxiety is so draining. Um, and we, we develop all these uh, coping mechanisms and we get through life. And I think the, the differences between existing and living um and i felt i existed very functionally for 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 those 30 years but i wasn't really living it because i was always scared um so the book is a is a catalog of my epiphany of um exiting darkness um so the the images chronicle that journey from incredibly dark images and very moody and somewhat melancholic and sinister images right through the full spectrum of luminosity and contrast into extremely high key uh, minimalistic images of, of warm tones. Um, so for a printing job to, 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 to find a balance between deep, deep blacks and very subtle transitions of very delicate tones uh, has been the massive juggling act really that Darren has helped me um, navigate. So when I actually sit and look at the book now, it's like, wow, <laughs> it, it just looks amazing. So that, that, that's a win <laughs> from, from my point of view. Um, I, I, even though I talk about not having any expectations, um, you can't help but go into a project like this with an expectation of trying to deliver excellence. Um, and, any professional is going to strive for those uh, dizzy heights of, of performance. Um, but the book is as perfect as I think it could be. And, and that is hugely satisfying. Yeah. It's like, it's like a birth of a child, you know, you hold that first copy. It's, it's, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I'd struggle. I, I, I wouldn't like to comment on that. <laughs> I, I think, yeah. I, I, I didn't need an epidural to, to, to hold the book. <laughs> no, but, but, but I think it also says a lot to the folks out that are listening that, you know, if you with because Alistair, I know you and you have just incredibly high standards for yourself, that if you've met your standards, how that's going to translate and how people will see them. Uh, I'm sure it's just an incredible printing job that was done with this. Well, if it's Bruce Percy's printer, yep. Uh, <clears throat> if it approaches 
his work his his books are just gorgeous so i yeah. can't get this and 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 folks i you know i, I mean i <laughs> i guess this is a shameless thing because I, I i just I, I want everybody i wish everybody could just get a copy of this and i want you to <laughs> There are a few still available. <laughs> I think it's more than a. I think it's more than a, a, a photography book. It, it, there's a lot of, a lot of personal uh, stories in this book. Well, that was my intent. Um, I, I, I think you know I've, I've I've had a lot of pressure put on me over the, the the last couple of decades to produce a book, and I I never really felt I had anything new to say. Um, you know, going going to. Um, locations and recording what that location looks like and making a book of that place um, is a worthy thing to do. But I, I just didn't feel I had anything to say other than I have been there and this is what I saw. Um, and so when the concept of Out of Darkness kind of materialized, because it, it, it obviously my trips into the Gobi Desert, those seven adventures, I didn't have a book in my mind. I didn't have a purpose in mind other than to transcend my relationship with myself, I think, um, and change that perspective. And that, once I'd achieved that, it allowed me to see myself in the landscape more rather than just being a, a biographer of a place that was much more autobiographical. Um, you, you, you know that I, I wrote various ebooks over the years. Luminosity and Contrast was the, was the first. And my relationship with all of the attributes of the landscape around us, be it luminosity or contrast or color or atmosphere or geometry, those five attributes of the landscape are the things that resonate with our soul. You know, they, they, they transcend seeing and they cut straight to feeling. Um, and I think meaning, meaningful photography for me is the articulation of that sense of resonance with the landscape around us. Um, and that, that's what I've really hoped to try and do with the book is, is to produce a series of images that transcends location or geography and actually becomes a, almost like a a synthesis of these attributes that, that exist that somehow are more photographs of my inner landscape rather than the external landscape. And the Gobi Desert's not exactly around the block either. It's, for those who... <laughs> no, it's kind of out there. Um, <laughs> it's well, an adventure. Sure there. Alistair, because people are going to say, isn't it the Gobi Desert in Russia or China or somewhere? Right, it, it it borders Mongolia and China, northern China. Um, it's a massive area. It's about one and a half thousand, one and a half million square kilometers. So it's a really huge place. Um, How do you get there? Well, the you can go in from the north. You can go into Ulaanbaatar, which is the capital of Mongolia, and travel in from the north, which is what most people do. Um, I know a few of my friends um, run workshops into the northern. Gobi Desert. Um, because my ex-wife was Chinese, uh, we had an opportunity to go in from the south, um, which is in Gansu province in, in northern China, which borders uh, Xinjiang, which is the furthest west province. Uh, and the Silk Road went right through there. 
So it's a very historical area. Um, and I think I was one of the first Westerners to go into that part of the southern Gobi Desert. Um, and yeah, you're, you're really out there. I think it, it, various ways of getting there usually involve uh, flying, in, flying three hours from, from Beijing and then three or four hours on a high-speed train and then half a day in a car um, to get to the, the end of the tarmac. So you're talking a couple of days to, to kind of get just to the just to the bit where you leave the road. And then the the genius driver takes you out into this wilderness of nothing um, with no maps or um, landmarks of any recognizable form. But he knew where he was the whole time. And I didn't. And, and it was a it's a it's a classic example of just surrendering to somebody else's skill yeah. um, and trusting that person with your life really because if he mucked up you know you, the, the consequences are somewhat dire no you know there's no automobile association to come and rescue you or roadside assistance or any of that type of thing i think we ended up a couple hundred miles from the end of the road the end of the tarmac um wow. you know so you're properly out there mm -hmm. um <clears throat> So yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it, you know, I, I thought at the time it was going to be a, an adventure and so forth, but I didn't foresee the significance of repairing my mental health. I mean, that 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 to me would have, if someone had said to me six or seven years ago, oh, you will you will be in a position where you don't need to take medication to control your anxiety or. Um, antidepressants or all of those types of things, I would have said, no, that, that's not possible. I cannot leave the house without having visa blockers in my pocket because um, that's how I lived for, for a couple of decades. And, you know, the, the fear of leaving the house without medication was enough for me to freak out. Um, so, you know, now I think it's... Uh, four and a half years now since I've had any form of medication for anxiety or depression. And I feel far better capable of coping. You know, I still feel sad and melancholic, melancholic and I still have the odd weird thought, uh, as we all do. But, yeah. you know, my, 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 my relationship with myself has changed beyond recognition. And that is what I've tried to put in the book. So, yeah, yes, it's a collection of photographs. There's essays by Joe Cornish um, and William Neal. They both wrote forewords for the book. Um, and then there's a couple of essays by myself. So it, it is, uh, it's, yeah, it's quite wordy. <laughs> but there's also 132 photographs. Well, well, I can't wait to get a hold of this thing and when is it you expect to ship in the next the next week? They are shipping the books to us from Italy. So um, I'm away a week today on a workshop mm. on the west of Scotland um, for eight or nine, well, nine or ten days, and I think I'm back home on the first of March. And I would expect the books to be arriving that first week of March. Um, or if not before before I even get home. So my darling wife, again, is going to have to pick up the pieces of my organizing. Um, so, yeah, we're going to have a thousand books delivered to our house um, fairly soon. And we will be starting the process of shipping them out 
in the order that they were ordered, basically. I think we're going to do it that way, which is if you got your order in first, you get your book first. So right. that, that, that just seems the only way that's fair. Yeah, <laughs> um, so throughout March and into April, the collector's edition, which comes in a incredibly bespoke case with five folio prints and an extra booklet of information plus music that I have composed for the for the book, um, that will be shipping a little later as those cases are being custom made to fit to right. the millimeter the book. Um, so that that's a, that's a fairly major production is getting all that stuff made. Wow. wow. <laughs> I never knew. Uh, I have one more thing and I'm going to turn this over to John because he's got he's got some good stuff to talk about here with you. Um, I made a comment in our current the current podcast that we have posted right now is with um, Cole Thompson, who's one of my favorite people. Um, and I did mention your videos in these, uh, uh, in that podcast. Um, folks, Alistair does a bunch of YouTube videos. A lot of people do YouTube videos. Very few do them as well as Alistair does. And, you know, this is not, <laughs> he, 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 these are free like a lot of them, but he does them in a way that um, really, I think, can help even people like myself who have been playing around with this photography thing now for over 30 years. Um, I, I, I listened to them over two, three times. They're that good, and I'd like everybody to at least check them out and give them a try. Alistair, tell us about how how people can find these videos and and and, and what they're about. Okay, so um, I exclusively did face to face teaching um, prior to COVID. I think I I did start a YouTube channel pre pre pandemic, um, mainly on the urging of people like Adam Gibbs um, and Tom Heaton, who are both good friends of mine. Um, and I think it goes back to when I first started, um, to, to consider become a professional photographer. And, and one of the questions I asked myself at the time was, can I add value to the, the, the art form and to the progression of our art form and the way that we choose to express ourselves in a, in an ever changing environment? I mean, photography is evolving and growing and and mutating um, hugely, um, even in the 20 years that I've been involved in it. Yeah. It's almost unrecognizable from what it was in the 90s, for example. Um, and, and that concept of adding value, to me, is really important. You know, if, if you want to be a professional at anything, I think you need to be considering what value are you adding. So the, the videos... When the pandemic came in, we we lost a huge amount of revenue from cancelled workshops, you know, and we don't have a backup plan. You know, when when you choose to be a, an artist or a photographer or a creative, you know, it's because you made a life choice to to move into a field of uh, creativity and 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 expressing yourself and trying to do something different. So we didn't have a, bi a big backup plan. So when the pandemic killed our photography business, uh, the YouTube 
outlet seemed like the most viable way for us to get our education material out there and people buying ebooks kept us kept us afloat right through the pandemic now my my personal view and this this might come across as somewhat contentious is that photography isn't taught particularly well um i think creative arts are not taught particularly well because they're teaching repetitious behaviors and actions that take choice and free will and creativity out of the equation. Um, so what I wanted to do with the YouTube channel was to create videos that urged the viewers to ask questions of themselves, to challenge all of these mantras and preconceived concepts of aesthetics and societally acceptable norms and external judgment and validation to basically say, well, you know, am I satisfying my own creative output? So yeah, the, 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 the YouTube channel has it's kind of become like a bit of a ranting board where for me, it's like, well, if someone says you have to do this, why? And, and I think that question, why do we do things is, a, is one we should be asking ourselves more often. Why am I making this photograph? Why am I pointing my camera at that particular thing? Is it because I'm here with a camera or is it because I have something to say about it or how it makes me feel? Um, and for me personally, these are the questions that I think have more value than just making photographs for external validation to get more likes on social media or to become more popular or to be told that you have a great eye or that you're an amazing photographer or, or whatever, you know, these, these are meaningless platitudes as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I, I, I still get hugely humbled when anybody says anything nice about my photography because I don't do it for anybody else really. But the, yeah, the YouTube thing is, it's, it's an exciting outlet and, but equally from a business point of view, it is our primary source of new clients. Uh, we get most of our new clients from people who find our, our YouTube videos. So, yeah, it's massively important from a business point of view. There's there's so much to unpack in, in what you just said there. <laughs> I don't even know where to go with some of that. But it's, uh, you know, I, I think going back to your point about cre creative endeavors aren't being taught well, I think I would agree with you on that, but also contend that that teaching, you know, creativity is a little bit subjective. Art is subjective. Art appreciation is a little bit subjective. And, and mm -hmm. teaching a subjective matter is difficult, where most people gravitate to teaching objective things, you know, camera settings. This is how you do right. something, you know, because that's easy to teach. And, and it's almost universal Correct. in the acceptance and understanding. But subjective stuff because that's been my soapbox for a while is how do i how do i get people to stop focusing on the objective things and start focusing on the subjective things of creativity and feeling and emotion and mood and those are the things that really matter to me personally in photographs and and uh you know how do we how do we raise that bar a little bit that's been my question for the last couple of years one of the things I'm really trying to work on now, which is kind of an evolution of all of this stuff I've been thinking about for the last decade or so, is how to objectively quantify and evaluate your own subjectivity. 
and I'm, I've developed some uh, methods which I'm going to be releasing later in this this year, hopefully, if I have the time. Methods to to objectively evaluate your subjectivity, and I I do quite a lot of mentoring. I have I have ten mentees who I who I week uh, I work with on a regular basis, um, and all of them are beginning to understand that they can evaluate their own subjectivity objectively. And, and it's a paradigm, you know, to be able to look at a photograph and truly understand its, its eloquence and articulation or its lack of those, um, those um, attributes. So there are ways to do it. Um, I, I, I think if we use the word creativity, we we cannot in any shape or form rely on any standard of conventional aesthetics. And this is where the rule of thirds breaks down or any form of spiraling or golden mean or all of that type of critical analysis of aesthetics. It breaks down because you can break those rules and something works. And if it works once by breaking them, then it is no longer a valid rule. And if you make images based on those things consciously and intentionally, that is not creativity. Right. You, so you're not being creative if you consciously or intentionally create or design um, a landscape photograph or any form of art form around a rule or convention. Music is slightly differently. We have, we have um, intervals between notes that feel a particular way and because music evolves through time you can you can perform certain repetitive chord progressions or whatever to make a song feel a certain way but that's not the same as pointing your camera as at a glacial lagoon in iceland and expecting it to to comply to your uh, aesthetic desires and I'm saying that because it's the background of your <laughs> of your, my, my of your background right now. Right now. Well, <laughs> well, you know, there, so, there was one word that you used that really um, uh, is is huge to me, and the word is feel. And you know, how often do you do you hear photographers use that word feel? This is how I feel. This is how it makes me feel. And that that's part of my little soapbox is we need to get into get into this sort of feeling space of of those quiet spaces and communication based upon feeling and emotion instead of objective rules and methodologies and that kind of stuff. I think people should be inventing their own language. I, th I think we yeah. should be inventing our own words to describe our art, to describe our photography, to, to describe our relationship with the world around us to describe our passion for the thing that we're engaging with. If I took a photograph of my wife, and for example, and I said, I really love this photograph because I shot it with my Nikon 85 1.4 lens at, um, you know, a certain shutter speed and a certain aperture with a certain lighting configuration. If I said that, my wife would leave me. Yeah. You know, if if you know if if I describe her beauty to me as a function of technical um, expertise, data, or prowess, or, yeah, then it, it means nothing. You know, it, it, a, a beautiful photograph should capture your emotional resonance, 
you know, when we listen to a piece of music, we feel intently. Um, And that that feeling is also variable because you can listen to a piece of music today that makes you feel a certain way. And then if something happens in your life that changes you, uh, you know, a friend dies of cancer or, you know, someone who that that song meant a huge amount to passes or they fall out with you. (laughs) <laughs> well, well, yes, I suppose if you win the lottery. <laughs> on the that, other side, uh, the happy side. <laughs> on the other side. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's um, it, it's like, you know, or a song that you, you listen to a lot when you're lonely and then you suddenly fall in love with someone. The relationship with that song changes. Our relationship with everything changes over time and is fluid and dynamic. And, and therefore we can't, I think most of us struggle with, with trying to... Um, develop and maintain a state of constancy when we are not we're, we're, we're in no shape or form constant and photography should celebrate that diversity it, it, it should celebrate our fluidity uh, the transitions between uh, all of our different states um, and this is my relationship with things like luminosity and contrast now I was talking to three mentees today and we were talking about contrast and the contrast between the past and the future, the contrast between texture and atmosphere, the contrast between hue and saturation. You know, there's all of these different types of contrast, all of which they make us feel differently about what it is that we're engaging with. And I just think passion should be the key ingredient that... um, Creativity to me is is a hugely important part of my life, and I don't want it to be predictable and repetitive. Well, you no, know, it, it, I, I have to disagree with you on one thing musically. Um, in fact, I, I just finished it's up on my blog now. It's an article regarding how jazz musicians, people who improvise. Um, react to music as opposed to people who don't improvise. Like, and I hate the term mm-hmm. music. I, you know, we have to ter- put terms on everything. Uh, to me, jazz is classical music, but that's another. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can play a tune ten different ways in ten different days, depending on how we feel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're playing in a symphonic uh, situation, which you're reading music off a sheet, and you've got to play the way the conductor wants you to play and how the composer wanted you to do it. And you play it and it's very great. It's very nice. But when you're improvising, man, it's like being, you could go back to the, your favorite place in a Gobi Desert 10 days and take the same picture and take 10 different photographs, depending on your emotions that day. It's a very mm-hmm. emotional experience. So what was your disagreement? Um, well, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I think that, uh, and maybe I missed it, but I think that when you, when you, when you, when you're playing music that you improvise and it could be jazz, it could be bluegrass. It could be a lot of different kinds of music you improvise on, you know, rock music, some improvisation. Um, you know, you're putting your own emphasis on that, and it can be different um, depending how you feel. 
And that's yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I don't see that as a difference of opinion in any shape or form. And, and I think um, improvisation is a classic example of creativity in, in motion. Um, and that's very different from saying, OK, we're on the first chord and now we're going to go to the third and the fifth and the sixth and then back to the root. You know, that that sort of predictability of popular music or certain genres of music that, that go, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, you know, coda, you know, that, that sort of repetitive structure. Um, you know, we can compose music around a structure or you can be like Brian Eno or, or many other sort of improv improv improvisational musicians um so yeah i i, I agree with you wholeheartedly i, I don't see us disagreeing at all camera, your cameras man that's your instrument and you're looking at whatever you look at and that's, that's the tune that's the that's the that's the song that somebody wrote and now what are you going to do you're going to add your own dynamics and your how fast you're going to play it how loud how soft you know you're going to create your own photograph just like a, a jazz musician or, or, or a rock guy or a, a country uh, musician may improvise to make it feel like he or she wants it to feel. And, and I, I, I some, that, oh, go ahead, Alistair. No, well, I was just going to say I somewhat agree with that. I think photography differs from music in, in the fact that we are, we're, not, we're not forced to arrange what already exists. You know, when, when you're out with your camera in a landscape, you know, the mountain is there, the iceberg is there, the cloud is there, and we can wait in time for certain elements to move. But generally, you know, this is why seascape photography is generally a little bit more dynamic than mountain photography, as an example. You know, whereas in music, when you're improvising, you know, you can skip from a C sharp to an F major in, in a heartbeat. And as long as the people who are with you can can feel that change, then the music can 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 do a, a U-turn. Um, and I think musical composition differs from photographic composition because we're not pointing at our camera. Well, we are pointing our camera at something that exists, and we can move through space to change those relationships. Correct. Most of the time, musicians or you know jazz players. You know, they are improvising, but they're still using some kind of a form, you know. Right. And and unless you're playing, you know, what, what we call free jazz, which is pretty right, which is really hard to do. Yeah. Um, you know, you really have a, you have a form and you have some kind of a concept of what you have to follow. I, mean, it, it kind I of think goes... improvising around Go ahead. improvising around the standard is 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 easier because you have a chord structure that's the roots, you know, you're, you're, you're improvising around a progression of chords, um, you know, free, free form jazz is, is organized chaos or disorganized. Yeah, <laughs> it's tough to, to do that. Yeah, it? for sure. It is. Well, you know, um, just to sort of, uh, we, we, I was going to bring up this subject of, of creativity. We've kind of backed into it a little bit. Um, but I wanted to touch on a couple of points. Alistair, I think, I think you're a great person. This, this is a, a sort of a, a question I've been pondering lately of what does it mean to be creative? Because we've had a lot of discussions and, and I talked to a lot of people about finding my vision. And, you know, we talked to Cole Thompson uh, in the last episode about, about vision and, and, you know, he best equates it to a filter that goes over the front of our eyes. Then that filter is composed of our life experiences to that point. 
you know, and it and it shades that filter um, based upon who we are and what we've experienced. And taking sort of vision and putting it aside and thinking about what does it mean to be creative? And I think we've touched on a few points of that. And, and going back to your point about, about you can't be creative in following a formulaic process. And, and I think that's very true because in some of the research I've been doing just recently, one of the, one of the definitions of creativity is um, you know, often people think about creativity as the ability to bring something new into existence. Yet others think of creativity not as an ability, but rather as a psychological process or processes by which novel and valuable products are created. Replace products with photographs. So it's a thinking process. And yes, it's creating new photographs, but it's the way one approaches it that is often looked at as being creative. Okay. Well, I think the various definitions of creativity are somewhat genre specific. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, first, first and foremost, if, if you're talking about creating a, a, a solution to a need, I can understand that as a far more intellectual process where what do we need to overcome? How can we overcome that? You know, how, how can we meet that need? Um, so it's like um, people who want um, sliced bread, you know, but you can only buy a loaf for bread. You know, the creative idea is, well, okay, slice it up before they buy it. You know, that that, that was a creative solution to a, to a need um, or a creative solution to creating a need, which is what a lot of marketing and advertising does is produce things that we don't know we need until they are told <laughs> that we right. need them. Right. Um, now, artistic creativity, I think, is somewhat different from that because I think then we enter the realm of purposeful without having a purpose, um, where my photography, honestly, it's not curing cancer. You know, it, it's not it's not solving world hunger or fiscal inequality or curing social issues directly. However, the, the, the attributes of creativity in my mind are for us to evolve and grow as humans. You know, we, we, we come out of our mothers um, somewhat innocent and raw, you know, like a, they always talk about a, 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 a a vase of clay, you know, we are an empty vessel of potential, I suppose. And we're very much a function of our personalities and our environment. And I don't necessarily adhere to the belief that our creativity is a function entirely of either of those things. It's when we learn and evolve and have something to say about our relationship with those things. I mean, I think humans have a need to express ourselves. We're a social species, just the same as chimpanzees are a social species, and they articulate to each other. Um, and we have this massive capacity to articulate and um, converse with other people. And 
I wonder if creativity is a function of our need to understand ourselves and a need to rationalize our existence in a void. Um, because I find that whole concept mildly alarming. Um, the, the infinite improbability of my existence uh, and, and the brevity of it, you know, the, the, this, this, what was it, three score years and 10 that I get to walk these, these, uh, these uh, hills and glens uh, around me. And perhaps my creativity is an attempt for me to understand that relationship with myself and, and that place in the universe and to, to maybe uh, find a way to articulate some of what I have learned over the years to other people. So creativity to me is, is a form of articulation. Most of it is autobiographical, yet is equally, um, it's part of the kind of meta language that we all understand. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, a piece of art transcends uh, the the ethnicity or the faith or religious beliefs or spirituality or, or geography of the person who created it. I mean, we can look at things from any corner of the world and they resonate with us on a human level. Um, and I think that resonance is the meta of, of the situation. And creativity to me is, is about... Um, I, I, I don't believe that you can create art that has value or is going to have fresh insight into our relationships with either ourselves or the world around us by following a formula. Um, I, I, I just don't believe that that comes under my definition of creativity. However, we are also some of our parts and we stand on the shoulders of giants and you know I've, I, we we are exposed to increasingly large volumes of other people's photography uh, just in our art form not to mention the the influence that i get on my work from musicians or dancers or poets or uh, fiction writers um anybody who's expressing anything about the human condition has a massive influence on my own uh, relationship with, with articulating these things. So um, I think for me, creativity is something that allows me to explore what it means to be me. Um, and in the hope that through articulating through that medium, I can help other people to tap into what it means to be them, um, not me, <laughs> if that makes sense. You know, I, I think as an educator, be, be, being a catalyst for somebody else's personal development is significantly more significant than, or significantly more relevant or valuable than turning them into a little clone of yourself yeah, uh, that sure, that that seems sure. to be a, I, I, a horribly I, egotistical no, approach it's not but you know there, there's two other statements that that I, i've got, kind of got a page here of uh, different things that i've written down to ponder and and i wanted to kind of throw these out at you and see how you reacted as well and the first one is creative people are often very open-minded 
And the second one is creative people are curious. Okay. Um, what do you think about those? Um, I think they're, they're, they're both valid. Um, I think that our relationship with creativity can be heavily shaped by external forces and to, without being hugely disrespectful reading other people's quotes about creativity is going to shape your relationship with your creativity and i would encourage people to invent their own quotes what is your relationship with your creativity what does creativity mean to you what can you think of that is more personal and and i'm it's funny because i can see you on the screen but you can't see me you yeah. just got my smiling avatar of contempt <laughs> to, to look at um and but you know all joking aside language is important and one of the most important things about creativity to me is ownership taking ownership for a discovery taking ownership for an epiphany taking ownership of a paradigm taking ownership of something that changes your relationship with yourself and the world around you is incredibly valuable because it is yours i would um, also add being proud and confident of what that is beside on top of ownership um pride's a funny one um oh. well I, I kind of hear you and, 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 and I know I was talking about the book earlier on and, and the, the, the sort of mundane language of it is that, yes, you know, the, the, the only word you can really use to describe it is as a sense of pride of the, of the production of it. However, it's, there, my, my whole goal through life has to try to transcend these this, this whole concept of hubris and and to things just are you know if if you throw your heart and soul into something then the outcome should be true to your uh, to through true to yourself i guess um i i struggle with pride i, I struggle with um feeling um anything beyond the experience that I've had has been good or, or the experience I've had has been true. So yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm getting a bit metaphysical, I suppose. A little bit. But... You know, I, 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 think <laughs> I hear what you're trying to say. I think my opinion is, I, I think pride is not a bad thing, but unfortunately in our society, it's gotten, well, it's gotten way blown out of proportion in people's I, I think pride is a little bit negative nowadays, um, but I think you know. Being no, happy, I, I grew up with the I, I grew up with the old expression: "Pride comes before a fall." You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very true. But you know, being proud of the work that you did, there's nothing wrong with that from a from an internal validation perspective. Yeah, it's when you start it's... pushing pride out out of yourself that that things start getting exactly, and funky. and you know. I, I know only too well just how fragile the balance between positive and negative can be in our own self-consciousness. So, you know, I, I agree wholly with that. Um, I, but at the same time, I think we take our photography way too seriously. I think we put too much pressure on ourselves. I think 
you know, I, I'm not trying to undermine the meaningfulness of the work that I produce, but at the same time, it's just a photograph. Yeah. You you're not curing cancer. Right. You know, but at the same time, you know, I, I'm working with mentees right now who, who are undergoing major life trauma. Um, and creativity is a way to to deal with that. And I, I know we were talking before we started recording about the power of laughter and the power of joy and the power of uh, engaging with something outside of our own mind. You know, and, and I, I think one of the things that I suffered a lot from over the years was being stuck in my head and thinking too much about everything when experiencing things outside of myself or at least recognizing that that a lot of what I thought wasn't reality um, was a hugely important thing. And I think that's part of creativity, you know, to come back to that, that question you asked a few moments ago, you know, creativity is stepping outside of yourself because I think to be creative, you are, you're somehow a different version of yourself. You know, you're, you're not the societally, shaped and molded version of yourself you know you're you're not the compromise as it were you know you can do the things that aren't accepted you know you can do the things that aren't uh normal yeah um, i think i think you're breaking out of convention when you do that and uh yeah i think that's awesome wow so thanks for going down that little mental uh <laughs> with me. that was kind of fun so, sorry for sorry for insulting you hugely. Oh, hell no. that's, that's, <laughs> I throw things out to get a response and uh, be it positive or negative. So it's awesome. Yeah, okay, I, good. I, I won't <laughs> take credit for this. This and I'm I can't remember the exact quote, but um, one of, one of my favorite pianists is a guy named Keith Jarrett. Mm -hmm. He's a very introspective guy. He, he's he's he reminds me a lot of Alistair. I don't know Keith Jarrett. I, I know his music intimately, and I know it really well. Uh, and I've listened to him talk hours and hours and hours and hours on, in videos and in podcasts and seen him live many, 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 too many times. He's, he's the guy Tal of piano playing. He's very intense and very brilliant as a person as well as a pianist. And he made a comment once that said, and I, I'm not gonna get it right, but it's gonna be close. It said that creativity is what makes humanity move and we're all there, we're all created to participate in that creativity. That's a, right. And man, that just sums it up, you know, I mean. The vision I got immediately as you said that was thinking about a Bell distribution curve. You know, the classic Bell distribution curve, creativity is on the edges. It's not in the middle. Correct. So Correct. I think that basically tries to summarize exactly what you just said, which is you can't, you can't, you're, you're unlikely to be creative if you're in the middle of the curve. Correct. 100% correct. It's an interesting topic. And, you know, um, for a while, John and I were trying to put together a whole bunch of people like you and Guy. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was like herding cats. Everybody at <laughs> Just maybe, maybe when I get settled here in the next couple of months, we'll try it again. But 
it was tough to get everybody, but it's a, what a great topic. We could sit and do hours and hours and hours. And by now, it's probably put a lot of people asleep. We, 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 we could market but, it as insomnia cure. Folks, you know, try to think about creativity. And some of you already have, and some of you think you have. And, and some people are just learning that um, creativity is a very personal thing. And it's not making a photograph to put up on Facebook to get told how great you are. Uh, that will <laughs> actually work against you, as Alistair said so succinctly. Pretty good. Succinctly, I said that right. Yeah, good yeah. job. I'm not going to try and say it. Years, <laughs> which I'm. Hey, Alistair, uh, where are you off to next? Where's your? Um, I've, I've just finished running three and a half weeks of workshops in the north coast of Spain with Adam Gibbs, um, who's one of my best friends, um, and we we just hit it off so well. You know, we we're. we're we just goof around and have a laugh and the clients really feed off that. Um, so I'm off uh, a week today to the Outer Hebrides of Scotland, uh, another place I love dearly, um, with a small group of my own. So it'll just be me and five clients uh, for nine days. And then we have about six weeks off, uh, during which time we're hopefully going to be shipping all the books. And then we're off to Tenerife in april for uh, two weeks with some clients and then i'm in canada in may um i'm going to be over running a couple of workshops with adam gibbs and on like vancouver island and then i'm uh, i'm keynote speaker at the light chasers conference in alberta in may which is focused on creativity and mental health um so if you're going to be in the um, Pincher Creek area of Calgary, southern well, southern Alberta in May. Then uh, it's the last weekend in May. I think it is like twenty third, twenty fourth, twenty fifth, there or thereabouts. So uh, yeah, that that's my next sort of four or five months of of activity, and then I'll be back in Scotland over the summer and hopefully write this next ebook. <sighs> well, yeah. It's all good. <laughs> keep 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 going. Keep busy. It's going to be. It's all good for everybody. To more folks like 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 you stimulate the. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's, uh, it's it's very busy in my brain, and I try to I try to get as much of it out as possible because it's, it makes room. <laughs> yeah. well, I think that goes a long way to keeping. You know, if you're a creative person, man, you you've got to. You've got to, you got to, you got to do that. You have to, you have to let it, let it out and share. I think sharing with people, uh, again, John and I and everybody else in this world, Alistair for sure. You know, we we do what we do. We know we're not never going to be ultra wealthy and what have you. You know, we're comfortable, but we we love what. We just love what we do and we try to get other people motivated to get out from behind their desk and go 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 for a ride, you know. Appreciate what you're looking at. Experience hey, one of my, the ride is short. Yeah, well, one of my favorite quotes is created we're, we're, to participate. We are created to participate. So one of one of my favorite quotes is John. Hold on, Jack. Let Alistair finish this. 
Sorry, I was, I was just going to say one of my favorite quotes is we're only immortal for a limited time. Um, <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I'm acutely aware of that fact. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I feel I have uh, a lot of unfinished work yet <laughs> to do. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of awesome. keen to do that. Well, be, please be safe out there, and uh, we'll get you back on. Maybe we could, like I say, John, maybe when I get settled with all this packing and moving and crap, um, we can get uh, we can get about four or five folks like Alistair and Guy and Michael. We can get them together, and we maybe we'll just do a two-hour thing and let people tell people, hey, it's going to be a two-hour podcast. <laughs> you know, break it into a couple episodes. Yeah. Summer, summer is probably going to be the best opportunity, I think, because most of us are running workshops in the spring and the fall spring, and yep. stuff. So certainly July and August, I'll be home pretty much that whole time. So well, let's do it. that would be the window for me. Let's do it. Alistair, it's a pleasure having you again. Thank you so much for making the time. And now that it's almost 7 o'clock, <laughs> please, uh, please go enjoy the day. So thank you very much. It's been a, it's always an honor and a pleasure. So I, I thank you very much for the opportunity. And I apologize if some of my answers are more long winded than Oh, they're great. And John, put some show notes up. Of I'm going to mute because my doorbell's ringing and Alistair, you, <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. John will end the Take part. care guys. All right. Thanks Alistair. Bye-bye.